Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? This is Chris Jablonski, Director of CXO Revolutionaries and Community. I'm the host of the CIO Evolution Podcast. Think of the company Medtronic and what comes to mind. If you know its business, perhaps it's revolutionary cardiac devices like miniature pacemakers. The global leader in healthcare technology and Zscaler customer has 95,000 employees in 150 countries. It also has a remarkable CIO with a remarkable story. Her name is Rashmi Kumar. We invited one of the top podcast gurus in the business, Ben Fanning from Lead the Team, to interview Rashmi while we were at AWS reInvent in Las Vegas. Settle in for a voyage through advice and perspectives that can make you a better leader. Find out how to deal with the pace of change in IT. Lead from the gut, mentorship tips, important traits to instill in employees, and how to stay clear of the details to keep your strategy in check. You'll also learn what excites Rashmi about AI and the possibilities it opens up and its concerns. She shares a great analogy about diversity and inclusion. Diversity is an invitation to a dance, she says. Inclusion is getting to dance. One of my favorite parts is when Ben asks her what's the advice that she'd give her younger self or maybe something new that she would have tried. Her response was to start a business in her garage like the founders of Medtronic did in 1949 and just like the HP garage in Stanford. A successful Silicon Valley startup is the ultimate aspiration in the technology industry. Enjoy. Welcome back to CXO Revolutionaries brought to you by Zscaler. I'm Ben Fenning, your co-host, and do I have a treat for you today? Today, I have Rashmi Kumar, who is Senior Vice President and CIO at Medtronic. Yes, that Medtronic. $31 billion organization, the world's largest medical device companies, clocking in at 75-year-old organization. So you've been around a long time, had a lot of success, and we're so fortunate to have you with us today. Rashmi, thanks for coming on CXO Revolutionaries. Thank you for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Growing up as a kid. Did you ever imagine you would be CIO of a global company? Not really. It was a very small town in India. I did spend uh, my summers and winters in um, villages on the farms. I did not imagine CIO, but I did imagine, I was given the opportunity, which I'm thankful for, to imagine you can do whatever you want to do. So very, very wow. grateful for that opportunity. Really lucky and, and blessed to... Um, to have that family, that village around me, which helped me through here. Yeah, so tell me about that. So your family and your village in India encouraged you to, to dream big? Yes, so uh, we, 
the country of India owes it to the generation of our parents whose focus was their prime objective in their life was education for their children. And it did not matter, you're a girl, you're a boy, you're in a big city, in a small town or a village. Uh, parents took their time to spend on you, um, to grow you. I had a mother who, since I remember, I don't know if I was two or three, I knew I have to be a doctor and an engineer. I have to focus on my math and science curriculum. She used to teach me till elementary school, and looking at my question paper, she would tell what grade I'm going to get in that exam. Wow. And 90% wasn't enough. <laughs> it got to be she was pushing you. She was pushing me, but she was also giving me the encouragement to say that if you did this, good things will follow. The, the focus is here. She also gave me the protection. Um, my dad was the, I was the dear daughter of his, and she was the taskmaster. Um, and not only them, the extended family. You know, India is a big social community, family, friends, everything. And I thankfully got that when I got married um, in my senior year of engineering college. And even today, I'm surrounded with my friends and relatives who are super proud of me and always encourage me to do better. Wow. That's so cool. And it really sounds like you're paying it forward now and thinking about how you develop your team. And we talked about reverse mentoring, which is a little bit different take on that. But, but mentoring and have you, have you had great mentors and sponsors throughout your career that have been helpful? Is, is there one that's been specifically really helpful in, in your career? I think I had many. Um, as I worked through it, one thing I always followed was when I had my managers and bosses or my customers or the leaders who I supported for, I had to provide more value than what I was assigned to do. So make them look good, make them look better, have them achieve their successes. Um, but at the same time, as a leader, my priority is to help my team members, help the people who work with me, around me, achieve their potential. So sometimes it just comes out as being a little obsessive compulsive about delivering the right thing, but my purpose is to help them deliver what they're capable of. So when you talk about few turning points, it has mostly happened around the life change, being an immigrant here. Uh, when I was 28 uh, with twin boys and my husband. Um, it's about life change. Came in as consultant because that's how you come in with work visa and then became um, an employee at the time of naturalization. Um, wanted to do more than what I was doing, so went to MBA school, graduated while working, and then I wanted to do more. So came through another job, which was Toyota. I think that was a great turning point super um, supportive CIO, uh, Mark Sarego. I kind of had four different jobs within four years. Um, wow, incredible. And, and I want to mention for the listeners, your storied career, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, McKesson, Toyota Financial Services. Yeah. I mean, now Medtronic. You've worked with some very high brand, global style companies. Yes. But Winding back the clock, what's the advice that you would give your younger self or maybe something new that you would have tried? I would say, if you ask me really personally, I would say I should have gone to a garage and did something for myself at some point. <laughs> but tell me, tell me more. It's, it's, 
I'm, I'm really great at what I do and um, at the position that I am, it takes about really moving mountains. And the kind of companies I've worked for are illustrious company, Medtronic, 75 years old, McKesson, might be getting close to 200 years old, right? <laughs> yeah, forever, yes. For, yes. Forever. Yes. Hewlett Packard Enterprise, the, uh, the initiator of the Silicon Valley, the first two companies were Ian and Hewlett Packard. Um, amazing culture, Toyota, same way. It was 50 years, we celebrated 50 years of Toyota in the country and 25 years of Toyota Financial when I was there. Um, our job as leaders became about changing the mindset of the people who lead and who we interact with. Mm. How do you get on, on, on to do something that startup does well so that these company can initiate those initiatives and drive results? So when I do that for such old large companies and I understand what's needed, I can see, I, was, I worked as chief architect a long time. You talked about sponsors. So my global CIO at McKesson, Kathy McElligot was a sponsor who told me, you're wasted as a chief architect because that's all I wanted to do. You need to go do CIO's job, right? That was a turning point. Mm. Um, but as, as architect, I'm a visionary who can see the trends that coming. Why didn't I embarked upon it and started something which brought in the value for the customer? Mm. But I love my job so much as CIO. I love IT so much. Um, this is the only organization which connects the dots across the company and, wow. and brings in that change in the overall organization that it's hard for me to think about anything different than <laughs> being a CIO. So it sounded like that moment back with Kathy mm -hmm. that she saw something in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself at the time. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I would say um, she had been a CIO for maybe 20 years by the time she came to, um, came to McKesson. And I had been chief architect for large companies for a while by then. And I was really comfortable. And, and I knew people have told me, you're really good with difficult programs, which are transformative, but having difficulty succeeding, I can turn it around. Um, people had told me I was really good with numbers, uh, with financials. And you know, in IT, we spend almost most of the money <laughs> for a company. <laughs> cost. It's expensive to so be in IT. It's expensive yeah, it's to expensive. be in IT, and I, I'm really very accountable, very um, responsible with the dollars that I spend. So I think she saw all those features along with the cap capability to be able to paint a long-term vision um, for enabling business processes through technology and wanted me to do this role and encouraged oh, me wow. to do this role. Yeah, and so I suspect now you offer that to others on I your team. I try my best. I try my best. Yeah, but there are many of me's in them as well, right? Who think <laughs> they, they are good doing what they are doing and, and that nudge is not enough. Then you need to tap, then you need to push and, and show what good looks like. It really feels like in the IT world, that's needed. Number one, if people get comfortable in their little sliver of the IT world, there's so much else going on that they're connected to. Yes that there's got to be a hunger to grow and also this hunger to, to push themselves, sort of like your mom did yep. back in India because IT right now, while we're in this meeting, is going to be different as soon as you walk out the door, right? You are so absolutely correct. I'll bring my, another mom anecdote. She used to tell me, my dear, if you'll be a doctor or a lawyer, you have to study a lot because that changes. Medicine changes, 
law changes and you need to stay on top of it. When I became an IT professional, I told her mom, that changes in a decade, this changes in that many minutes, right? So <laughs> now I have to be more on top of it. So you are absolutely oh. right. In IT, we need people. And we need people who are closer to our internal customers as well as their understanding of our external customers because those needs are changing, right? Consumerization is evolving every day. And it's not only for our team members who are close to our internal customers to change, but their ability to change their internal customers as well. Leadership is, still, leadership is still about leading with gut, right? How many, um, how many leaders in the company really get into the details of the data to decide what their next months, quarters, years action plan would be, right? And IT people know where that treasure trove is and how do we expose our customers with a very seamless and easy experience for them to drive their data-driven decision-making further. So the role of IT professional is not only about the knowledge of the technology. That's just one piece. How it fits in a bigger set of business processes, customer experiences, and how do we run the change management of the people who are there to serve our customers to leverage the right technology to be able to deliver that value. So if you had to instill one trait in all of your employees, what would it be and why is that important? I would, I would go back to the point of change. What got us here will not get us there. Um, just understanding the piece of technology that we are supporting today is not enough. Really understand where tomorrow is going. Even when we do transformation program, I used one slogan which, which where I say you're creating tomorrow's legacy. So how do you not create tomorrow's legacy system? How do you keep them adaptable? Um, how do you keep it integratable and, and drive business value from that system is, is extremely important. People don't think in terms of business outcome. They always think in terms of implementing technology for the sake of technology. So when you say that to them about you're creating tomorrow's legacy, what response do you get? So I would, I would say one more thing about before I go to the response is the direction needs to be a little more specific around that scenario, right? I, I would not, I'm, ta I'm talking back in 2003, 2004, I was working with a leading provider of SCADA system and they were hard coupling the integrations. And I had to teach the partner, the vendor, what is service-oriented architecture is. Mm -hmm. Why is integration needs to be loosely coupled and not hard coupled, right? So the way I do it with my team members is I have to separate myself and say, hey, this is not your CIO talking, just look at me as a technologist and let's think about how we are architecting this, how we are considering not only functional but non-functional requirements and make sure that we are not doing a program twice where we are doing it as part of the project and then we put it in operations and we have to go retrofit it again. Do you ever find since you came through as a technologist and now you're an executive, how does it resonate with you if I say the curse of knowledge? Do you have the curse of knowledge um, Staying high, but having to go low and find, 
walk I, in that. I, I feel like you're, you're asking me pointed, like planted, <laughs> planted questions. <laughs> because Are you thinking about this right that, now? That's, okay. another, that's another slogan I use uh, on my oh, soapbox, okay. which I okay. say, first learn to unlearn before you learn. Ooh, give and, it. All right, tell me more. And I learned about it during my MBA um, uh, degree because, as I said, I had obsessive compulsive mom. I had very good memory, so I used to mug up a lot of things and do well in exams. When I went to MBA school, after 13 years of graduating from engineering school, I realized that I don't have that capacity anymore because I've been out for 13, right? So learning became more about experiential learning. Mm. And, and first thing it took was to unlearn what I knew to be able to learn new things. And that's true even today. When you see people using cloud, I'm going to use this as an example, right? We are at AWS reInvent. People use cloud as if you have the server sitting next to you and it's dedicated to you. It's, it's, it's expensive when you do that. For, for so you need to learn the serverless. But somebody who knows physical IP, I'm sorry, I'm getting technical, it's very hard for them to become virtual, right? <laughs> and, yeah, and, and driving that knowledge. So when I get into these things, um, the point you use, get in the depth, right? Um, talk to people about it. And I, I'm a CIO, I think I could do bigger, better thing, but I do pride myself in knowing the technology and keeping myself at the right level abreast with it. I'm not a coder anymore, but, but I do understand the architecture so that I can have that conversation. And the response I get is first time there will be um, a lot of hesitation, but mm -hmm. then Second time when I'm meeting the same team member, they come better prepared about it. Because you could ask the detailed questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's great that you've already reflected upon that because it can hold you back as a leader if you're always in the details. We need to be strategic. Yeah. But you've already tackled that. And I think a lot of leaders need to be thinking about that. When, that, when they grow through their specialty and become a leader, they've got to learn to walk that walk that, you know, find that balance. Leverage it when it's useful, but not get stuck in the details. Now, when, did you, when have you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Oh, there are so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe pick a favorite. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll use an example. I was part of a very, very large ERP transformation program, and... Uh, I was leading that program, then I became a CIO. And the way I had to restructure the whole package around not only how the technology was working, how the partners were delivering, how my team members were engaging as a subject matter expert, but also how the governance was working from the top down, right? Yeah, Whenever, a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. And, and the, the way I've done it, to your point around when do you stay at the higher level? When do you get in the depth, right? So to painting a framework that your leaders can latch onto. Not only your leaders who report to you, but the leaders who you influence to make the right decision. And when you paint a right picture of the, of the framework as well as the roadmap, then it becomes easier to recruit people uh, to be able to do that. And always, again, I will use it come from the business outcome perspective say, yes, it could be IT's issue, it could be partner's issue, but if we don't have the accountability, who fails at the end of the day? It's we who fail, right? So let's take ownership and drive it from here. 
and you get different type of type of results. So, so, so that was, I, I would say that as I was leading the program, I didn't have that level of influence, but I was kind of floundering through it. Mm -hmm. And when I got that accountability, I was able to turn it around in, 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 in that building of that framework as well as, as, as roadmaps. And there, there are so many such examples. I, I once um, uh, joined a company, which very quickly I realized it's, it's not the place that's going to work for me, right? And then it was a decision to say, I think it's not right thing for me in my career. Uh, even after spending two, three years, it's time to move on. And that was the switch between consulting and the full-time role. Consulting is awesome. I'm a great consultant because I again see a very broad set of parameters. Um, but I want to see my my work result into operationalization, which consulting doesn't give you, right? And, and calling it on time oh. to say I want to go do this, be a CIO. <laughs> so thinking about 95,000 employees. And then thinking about cybersecurity. You got, you got 95,000 people. I'm assuming they all have computers, probably. Yeah. They all have smart devices. Yeah. They have a lot of technology stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And they're around the world. How in the world, like what, what excites you about cybersecurity and 95,000 employees? And what keeps you up at night when you think about cybersecurity and 95,000 employees? I think there is no one who cybersecurity doesn't keep up at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even at the personal yes. level, right? Yes. I have had my own experiences, but I would, we, we all believe in that slogan, if not when, right? So mm. I know Zscaler is doing a great job of helping us, um, but it's, it's a continuous journey, right? When we talk about pace of change in technology, Cybersecurity is in the leading edge of it, right? That's where the most change, most change happening because of the technology changes that happen. But I would say the biggest thing I believe in, uh, which can give me some sleep, it's that cybersecurity is not one team's business. It's everybody's business. It's not only IT's business. It's all 95,000 employees who need to be committed to securing our patients' information, our customers' information, our information. And with that, building those partnerships and relationships for the cybersecurity team with my infrastructure team, operations team, end user team, applications team, and bringing that mindset and culture um, into, into each and every employee is absolutely important. And then it kind of permeates around. There are two aspects of cybersecurity. One is cybersecurity or securing um, the whole penetration testing, vulnerability detection, securing using tools like Zscale and CrowdStrike. But the other aspect of it is compliance, which is are we following the right processes? Are we doing right assessment? Are we open about our findings? And are we investing to fix those findings? And not only point in time, but through our processes once and for all so that we don't keep getting uh, same findings. Everything works together in consortium to keep a company like Medtronic safe and delivering the right goods and services to our, our patients and customers. Yes, yeah, incredible when you think about the importance of it from, like I have a family member as a pacemaker. Mm -hmm. 
And what does it do? It interacts with the internet and is monitored. And uh, it's important to think about the, the cybersecurity piece of that, even on a one-to-one on -a -one level. So just to, again, um, just to give you our efforts that we are putting in that space is Medtronic also is building a product security team within our quality organization. Wow, okay. And um, one of the leaders from the cybersecurity team is part of that team now. And we work in consortium very closely together um, to make sure that we are not only securing our enterprise and our, our customers who use our technologies, but also the products, um, working with the product security organization. I'm glad to have leaders like you, you. working on that yeah. <laughs> and, and keeping that secure. Yeah. Um, now, I just want to introduce one more complication, which is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. it's, it's getting a little bit of press <laughs> out of the world. What most excites you about artificial intelligence and the possibilities? And then what's, what's some more of the concerns out there that, that are on your mind? So I'll take you back again 32 years when I first started working. I'm a metallurgical engineer, so my first job was at a steel company. And, wow. and I really wanted to work yeah. on the steel melting shop. But wow. I wasn't allowed. I, I was just fascinated with, okay. uh, with how that technology work or engineering works there. Um, but I wasn't sent there, I was sent to research and development organization. And that's where I first came in touch with computers and programming, and I used to code mathematical model for heat mass transfer and fluid dynamics. And I remember reading about in an artificial neural network at that time. I taught myself, I wrote one code in Fortran which would go one level deep for ANN. It used to take 24 hours to run on a 386 machine. Mm. So fast forward today, right? The, the foundation, the technology, and everything is now there to enable that. Promise is huge. We can solve large problems using artificial intelligence. Um, as, as today morning in the keynote speech, we hear about the excess scale computing. HPE is a pioneer in that as well, right? Um, I think it's incredible. It'll solve a lot of um, biological issues, environmental issues, technical issues. I think we need it. Um, we have it. It'll bring in efficiencies to companies. It'll bring in better product development, better experience for our customers. But what I'm worried about most is the ethical AI part of it, right? Um, it's the um, how we take bias out of it. How do we make it more trustworthy? And that's why when you talk about Gen AI and other pieces, they are not end-all, be-all. They are a piece of the puzzle in our ability to deliver digital products better going forward, not only for our customers, but our employees, employees as well. Well, I know you're passionate about DEI initiatives, and that's been something that you've championed. How are you thinking about that today in terms of what, what's going on not just at Medtronic, but in, in, in the broader business environment. Yeah, I, I think D and I are represented in many different ways across um, the ecosystem that we work in. Um, Medtronic is all about equity. It's all about providing um, the right platform to all types of employees, people, customers. Um, what I'm most passionate about is the diversity of experience. Mm. What um, what diversity brings to the table is 
us people from different walks of life, from different upbringings and interactions that we have had, and that creates a very different level of um, diversity of experience when you're sitting around a table trying to solve a problem. And then second piece which I'm most interested in is the inclusion. Uh, one of my friends, another um, CIO, talked about that diversity is invitation to get to a dance, inclusion is getting to dance. <laughs> and, and both are important. One comes before other, but, but both are extremely important. I'll use one example of inclusion is about um, reverse mentoring, as you mentioned in the beginning, right? There is so much, um, there is so much different experience in the generations which are coming after us. And how do we leverage them in the right way to leapfrog our ability to deliver better product and services to our, um, our customers is, is absolutely, absolutely important. I learn every day um, from the people who work for me. And some of them I tap on the shoulder and say, hey, can I brainstorm with you about this particular item around how do we do it? And sometimes in IT, something that would take not only days, but weeks and months, or maybe even year, to solve. Some, they come up with ideas where you can solve it in days and hours, right? So a very different way of thinking. In IT, the people who are classically trained in IT, we grow up on mainframes, I'll date myself, SAPs and oracles of the world, where we are always coming in with the mindset of we need to provide 4.9 availability and accessibility and you know all the operational metrics. Versus, Gartner talked about bimodal IT for a decade, where we also need to be innovative and bring in solution quickly. Uh, ag safe, agile methodology helps us with that, but how do we have different sets of people helping us think in terms of agility and speed? versus just the operations and the run of our lives. The people side of the business. Absolutely. It's not all about the computer yeah. or the software so, or the service. Yeah. It's about the people. I love that. So what's your advice for leaders who are like, yeah, you know, we've we've recruited a very diverse team. We have that. But I don't see the inclusion piece. Or I want to accelerate the the inclusion piece. What's your what's your recommendation for leaders who want to accelerate inclusion? So sometimes it needs to be forced, where you make sure that you bring teams together in a way where you have different personality type, different experience, different background. You'll be surprised when um, you, you take a marketing person and ask them to make a business plan, right? I'm just using it as an example. Um, second piece of it is investing time in your teams. Really have them go through an exercise and use any framework, Hogan, Myers-Briggs, or Insight, and have them find out who they are. And, and, and explain to them that there is nothing good, bad, or indifferent. It's all about how now we bring in different types of flowers to make a bouquet, which is really beautiful, right? Oh, so, so like that. Uh, well, one thing I would say that introverts are um, the most knowledgeable people. Um, I, I call them, they are like the Great Barrier Reef inside a calm water where there is a lot of different colors and value and thriving ecosystem of ideas. Um, if we don't tap out to them, we as leaders miss out on the most powerful um, ideas. It's so important because they may not be the first group to 
speak up in a meeting. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you got to get them involved. Yeah. Sometimes invite them. They need the invitation. Yeah. I think it's the. Well, sorry to interrupt. It's it's continu it's pursuit continuous pursuit for me. But being an engineer, I'm very much about solutions and answers. But always trying to be about questions. Because if I ask questions, then it becomes inclusive. Because people want to answer. If I lead in from answer, then they will just become followers. Right. If you're if you come in with the answer, like, yep, yeah, what she said. Yeah. That sounds good. So putting a putting a uh, chair on top of this interview today. Thanks for joining us, Rashmi. What's your parting thought for our our audience? Technology, AI is going to change a lot of things. Uh, be open for that change and embrace it, and be that change champion. Thanks, Rashmi. Thank you. Appreciate your questions. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.